I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Reset. Hello and welcome to another edition of Reproducer, the podcast that's all about the work that radio producers do. My name's Jenny Nelson. And I'm Mark Jeeves, and we are radio producers. It's the job we do, and it's a mark of our industry, I think, that even when we're not working, radio producers love talking about radio production. So we thought, well, that sounds like a podcast, and here we are. Now, today we're going to talk to a producer who has done so much from helping launch radio stations through to producing some of the biggest shows on the BBC. We're so pleased to be talking today to Emma Newman. I, I think the biggest lesson actually for me came from um, Frank Skinner randomly. We were just left to get on with it because nobody understood it. And I suppose by doing that and getting recognised for it and winning awards, it launched all of our careers really. So Emma's journey in radio generally is a really fascinating one. Her CV includes working at um, Absolute Radio, Kerrang, XFM, Q, BBC Local Radio, along with independent production companies like Avalon and TBI Media. And in this conversation, we chat about student radio, one of the greatest radio stunts of all time, her mentors and the people who've been the biggest influences to her in her career, the biggest lessons she's learnt in radio, what it was like working with Frank Skinner and what she thinks the future of radio looks like. But we started by asking Emma to go through some of the radio stations she's worked on. Reproducer. Reproducer. There has been loads, actually. It's a bit embarrassing how many there have been. I feel like I might be a bit of a commitment phobe, <laughs> if I'm being honest with you. I feel like there's too many. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they have been. How many? So we... we start with uh, Kerrang Radio I guess was the big first brand Bauer brand that I worked for I think it was EMAP back in the day um, and then found myself sort of working in a lot of rock radio sort of stations from XFM in South Wales obviously where I met you Jenny and also um, Q Radio for uh, Bauer Absolute Radio, when it became Absolute Radio, once taken over from Virgin. Um, so, yeah, I kind of pigeonhole myself to be some sort of rock radio producer for a little while. Uh, then rock 
wasn't really fashionable anymore so kind of had to figure something else out so <laughs> so when all those stations started to disappear um I then uh, started doing comedy kind of accidentally because it was absolute radio and I was doing working with people like Frank Skinner and Dave Gorman um and various other bods at absolute when they sort of introduced a comedy strand into their weekend programming and then that kind of led me into the world of indies, I guess, because they were mainly Avalon produced, which was a production company really known for TV production and comedy, but then they kind of ventured off into radio. So I was working for them for a little while and uh, then went on to TBI Media, kind of stayed with TBI Media until I had children and decided to move out of London and went into BBC local radio. And then... Now I'm back at TBI again. So that's kind of it. I think that's a summary. That's brilliant. Thank you. What was your route in? Was it was it student radio or was it anything before that? It was definitely student radio in terms of working in an actual radio studio. But I guess my route in was my next door neighbour and her dad <laughs> because they had a reel-to-reel in their house he was a lorry driver he had nothing to do with radio whatsoever but he had a reel-to-reel at his house and he would just record me and my best friend singing Frankie to Sister Sledge uh, before we progressed to like a Philips tape recorder and started to record our own little radio shows Uh, and then obviously when I got to university and saw that actually people like me could possibly get into radio if I just concentrated I guess and and put my head down because I just you know going to university I saw the opportunities you know I grew up in a place called Malcop uh, near Stoke-on-Trent so yeah when you when you live in those wonderful areas you just you think you're not destined to go into show business or anything like that really if you can call it that I say that in inverted commas (laughs) we all know the truth it's not show business but anyway Uh, (laughs) but yeah going to uh, university was the real time I sort of saw the opportunities in front of me and yes student radio was it do you think much has changed now because I mean one of the things we've spoken about with with various guests is that opportunity and the London-centric nature of a lot of media in general has it has it improved or or not gosh yes in terms of what we hear on the radio I think so in terms of the voices you know I grew up listening to Atlantic 252 and, you know, Key 103 or Piccadilly Key 103, I can't remember what it was called, you know, those those stations. Uh, Even, you know, BBC Radio Stoke and Signal, all of those stations, they had people like Sam Plank on there, but they were all male, they were all middle-aged, they were all really well-spoken. Some of them had an accent, but the majority didn't. And, And I'm talking commercial radio as well, really. And it was all very slick and very polished, and it was just very, very male. Mm. So, yes, um, and very white, obviously. But now... I just, I just hear different voices all the time, you know. My favourite broadcasters, most of them actually are embarrassingly are still male, but they've got just the best accents ever, you know. I think of Tony Livesey and, you know, and Salford doing Five Live and now just there is nobody more compelling to me on the radio at the moment. And I think that is because he just sounds like where I grew up, I guess. Mm. And yeah, I think it helps, obviously, that there are indies all over the place, you know, whether it be Audio Always in Manchester or various, you know, in, in the big cities, they're still city dominated, obviously, but it doesn't feel London centric to me. I haven't lived in London for years, for years and years. So yeah, I think the opportunities are big. BBC obviously moving to those locations helps as well. And Newsbeat's obviously yeah. on its way to Birmingham. 
And so, so back to you and kind of, so you've done student radio. What was your big break into professional radio? It was Kerrang! Radio in Birmingham. Up until that point, I'd done, I'd done stuff at the Radio Academy as a student. I was proactively involved in the student radio community, if you like, beyond the student station that I was at, which was Demon FM in Leicester, and became involved in things like the Student Radio Association, which had links with the Radio Academy, and then started doing things for the Radio Academy. You obviously have lots of patrons and various different people connected um, to the industry, most of them actually really high up. I remember being in meetings with people like Helen Bowden when I was 22 years old and just thought, how on earth did I get here? You know, it's so just being proactively involved in those different areas, those communities, those groups um, kind of was the break really. And through meeting those people, whether it be at radio festivals or helping, you know, organize things like that, I got to meet some of the sort of big wigs and one of those was uh, a guy called Andrew Jeffries who'd just been given the job to launch Kerrang in Birmingham and I loved rock music and um, loved the idea of moving out of London and going back to the Midlands and just sent him an email and asked if you know he was looking for any cheap labour basically <laughs> And he said he was, and I went up there, and that was that. That was the start of it. And I started off as, uh, I think I was syndicating the breakfast show. So it was like the first time the like breakfast shows, I mean, Absolute Radio are masters at this now, but um, it was the first time like a breakfast show had gone onto other platforms, digital platforms. So I was sort of syndicating the live stuff. I say syndicating, I was sort of, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but I was basically taking the live program and turning it around and putting it out onto a digital platform. Um, so the content was different. It basically had to turn local into national, if that makes right. sense. And I did that and got paid, I don't know, about 12 grand a year for doing it. And within two years, was the head of music for the radio station many things like music week awards which was incredible really and it was definitely andrew jeffries that sort of gave me that opportunity so yeah that was the start that was the start of it wow yeah. it's that it really sounds like kerrang around that time was just i mean it was just amazing like the creativity in the team i mean i met quite a lot of you guys as you mentioned when xfm south wales was launched so but when you look back at that time at kerrang could you put pinpoint it was it just that that was the trend of the music at the time but it definitely from what I from where I'm at it seems like there was just this cast of absolute stars and stars in the making like in the programming and production teams it's hard really to compare because it was one of my first big radio jobs so I hadn't done like some of the people that went to Karanga had spent some time at other radio networks whether that be Heart or Galaxy the majority in commercial in fact I think all of them commercial radio so they, I suppose they would say that it was just, it was just something completely innovative and very experimental and something that had never really been done, I don't think, in UK radio before. First off, putting what is necessary, you know, a niche genre of music onto a national platform or giving it a huge sort of um, West Midlands license seemed insane. And I think, I, I guess what happened with that was that there was a big idea and the idea, you know, there was... The idea was it wasn't just about the music, it was about the attitude. And therefore certain people were just sort of brought into it. And those people were really, really young with brand new ideas who had very little experience of radio. Therefore really 
just could forge their own sort of creative path, I guess, and do things differently. And we were just left to get on with it because nobody understood it. Nobody in, in EMAP at the time really got how they, no, I don't think anyone understood how they won the license. And secondly, <laughs> definitely, I don't think, none of them wanted to be involved because they were like, oh God, no, that's, I don't like heavy metal music or, you know, I've got no idea what to do with that. Just let those young people deal with it. And, and we kind of did. And I suppose by doing that and getting recognized for it and winning awards, it launched all of our careers really. Um, so yeah, it was, I look at it very fondly. I always think of it as my second university days. I had my first wave of university, then my second wave of university at Kerrang. Um, because I just learned so much and met so many talented people. Um, and it was the place that where I fell in love with radio, basically. I knew that radio could be different. The Kerrang thing's interesting. We, uh, you talked about Andrew Jeffries, obviously a major influence. Were you involved in the burglary of his house, by the way, which is one of the greatest radio stunts <laughs> of all time? I, uh, I I wasn't involved in the burglary. I was I, w- I witnessed it all from start to finish. Um, so I saw the I wasn't involved in the idea process. It's probably worth spending a couple of minutes on Emma if you have a chat yeah. if you have yeah, a of recollection course. of it. Um, yeah. So basically, what happened was um, presenter Tim Shaw used to present a program called The Asylum, uh, which was a late night evening show, and uh, I don't know whose idea it was whether it was Tim's or Andrew's or both of them combined. Um, but from memory, and you must correct me if I'm wrong on this because it was uh, a long time ago. No, I don't but, know. I just heard it. Uh, yeah, he, they, they um, I think it started with a, a, a fictional fallout between uh, the boss of the radio station, who was Andrew, and Tim. And the end result was Tim... Burger, was it burgling Andrew's house? I think mm. that's how it went. It was, yeah. yeah. Burgling his house and then being suspended yeah. on air. Yeah. Um, so that was the kind of summary of it. And it was a total publicity stunt, the whole thing. For the first couple of days, the majority of the people at Krang Radio had no idea what happened. We thought Tim Shaw had lost the plot. And it was such a great publicity stunt that, that no one at Krang Radio realised it was a publicity stunt. You know, it, that's how good it was. Uh, and then... Then to find out that it was a publicity stunt and to be told that you must continue with the charade for, you know, for however long um, uh, is desired uh, was was an extraordinary pressure down my shoulders <laughs> while at the same time being utterly confused about what on earth was going on. I mean, it worked. I mean, the press around Kerrang Radio at the time, who were, you know, really, really new radio station. Uh, it was phenomenal, and I, and I think I'm guessing Andrew had been tasked with the uh, the impossible <laughs> challenge of probably having to be the number one radio station in the West Midlands within six months. I'm, I'm sure it was probably something along those lines. Therefore, the only thing that could possibly achieve that is uh, a huge publicity stunt, and that's and that's what that was. Um, but it got a lot of people talking. And it, it was, did. yeah, it's quite extraordinary. Uh, and f- uh, for those younger listeners, uh, it's the sort of thing that you're not allowed to do now. So don't <laughs> yes. go on air tomorrow and <laughs> yes. try it. 
I was going to say, maybe we should uh, try something like that for Scala, Mark. I I think we should. (laughs) I did did come up with a promotion. Our breakfast presenter, Charles Nova, is a jolly man. And I did come up with an idea with one of our social media guys where um, we were to wait in Golden Square outside the studios. And then as as Charles came out of his breakfast show, we would put a bag over his head and bundle him into a van. And, And then drive off with him and film it. And I explained this to Charles, who said that, uh, there's no, he's from Glasgow. There's no way that anyone would be bundling him into a van. Thank you very much. <laughs> it would be David and I lying dead on the floor in Golden Square uh, and Charles um, smiling. So we'll move away from radio promotions. Andrew Jeffries is an interesting guy. He's, he's now super high up, I think, in uh, America. Yes. Um, he's uh, well. So clearly a big influence on your career, as you talked about. Who else? Who, who are the other people who have been major influences for you? I get Clive Dickens. They're all kind of from the same breed, I guess, at the same time. Um, I think Clive's Clive now Dickens... gone to Australia. Yeah. So yeah, they, have you driven the... them all away? <laughs> yeah, there is this recurring theme there. Uh, none of them live in the UK anymore. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clive Dickens is, is another one. I think for similar reasons. Um, I remember, you know, working with him. I think we'd worked together on the radio festival one year and he must have just left capital and become and was asked to produce the radio festival the radio academy and i was just straight out of university and became his kind of assistant producer and just just really worked my ass off for him really worked hard for him and um i guess he just spotted that and then took me under his wing when he was trying to launch absolute radio i think originally as jump fm and Mm various of the brands, you know, that you, it was when there was loads of licenses up for grabs on digital platforms, but also, you know, on FM as well. And he just needed someone to help him pitch. And it, it really was like a one-man show. It was him in his office and me sort of next to him, just helping him to get these applications in. I mean, I don't think he won any of them, to be honest. I think, I think he had to get the Times of India to buy Virgin Radio before he could launch Absolute Radio. Yeah. Um, but he... He was. He just remained loyal to me. Um, I think off the back of that, and I kind of remained loyal to him. Found myself, you know, going full circle and working for Absolute while he was there. And he, mm. he was. He just. He just taught me an extraordinary work ethic. I think really, and made me think that anything was possible. So Clive was one of those, and he was just so forward thinking. You know, just the the ideas he had for Absolute in terms of the stuff that we see now, like absolute eighties and absolute nineties and the, just the different spin-offs mm. of, of one brand was just extraordinary. So he was definitely an influence. Uh, I think Phil Critchlow was probably another one who I've mentioned again, somebody I've remained very loyal to um, because they just sort of gave me an opportunity and, and during their early days. And, and I remember working with Phil when he was trying to launch TBI media in a shed at the back of his garden. And I know Jenny was there as well. Um, so I think he's been another influence. And all of them, I think the thing they've all got in common is they, they, they all think big ideas and they, they all have an extraordinary work ethic, regardless of where they are in the chain. And they're always sort of hands-on, you know, they're, they're not one of these sort of managers that t- tells you what to do, if you like, as opposed to doing it themselves. They really like to get their hands dirty. And I think the three of them have been an influence for that reason alone. I think. Three big names. And... Are you able to, uh, if I could say, let's say, what's the best lesson you ever learned from any of those? Have you got something that you've carried through your career? I, I think the biggest lesson, actually, for me, came from um, Frank Skinner, randomly. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I know. I don't think I ever thought I would say that. <laughs> um, but I think he taught me that everything has the potential to be material. 
And that was that was an incredible lesson as a producer for me. That's interesting. The first time I saw that was when we were in um, South Africa and we were trying to get to all of these games. Um, and it was in 2000, the 2010 World Cup and um, England were knocked out after the first you know, after the first round. And we just thought, oh my God, we're in South Africa for five weeks covering the World Cup and England are already out. What on earth are we going to do? And he just sort of spotted material everywhere. And he made me look at things differently. And, and I suppose one example I can think of is when we were running really late for the semi-final, I think it was. You know, we'd, I think we'd had to fly from Johannesburg to Cape Town and gone as well in between. And, and it really was just the three of us and this, this brilliant bloke driving us. And... um he just he just realised that the we weren't going to get any of the game at all into the um, into the podcast. Possibly half of it if we were lucky, if we managed to get there half time, and and just it opened the the podcast with him just running um, breathlessly from the car <laughs> to try to get to the stadium uh, to to watch this semi final, and it, it just turned everything on its head for me. Really, I, I sort of stopped getting stressed about the scenario that I was in yeah. and started to think about how actually everything has the potential to be material and just seizing those opportunities. So I think probably, yeah, I think Frank Skinner. Reproducer. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Right, so um, this part, we're actually just going to try and kind of drill into what does a producer do? What, what does the role of a producer involve? Wow, gosh, big question. A bit of everything. You become a jack of all trades, don't you, really, I think, when you're a producer. Um, you do everything other than take the glory. God, that makes me sound incredibly cynical. But, um, no, I think I think the main things that you do are um, you, you just – you can, oh God, I need to think from the top. I should know the answer to this. I've been doing it for such a long time. It's coming up with the idea and then having the, the confidence and support and sort of the, the conviction to, to deliver it, I guess. But also knowing when it's not going to work, mm. knowing when to stop um, and calling it a day, whether that, you know, moving in a different, whether that means moving in a different direction or, um, or just starting again from scratch, you know, whatever that might be. Well, a lot of your career has been spent uh, in the music team or music scheduling, you know, head of music, at, as you say, Kerrang! and then XFM South Wales, before kind of doing more and more production. Do you, how do you think that's helped you as a producer, having that innate knowledge of, of 
you know, a clock and and music scheduling and the, the music of the network you're working for? I think it obviously makes you incredibly disciplined, I guess. You know, knowing what realistically will fit within an hour, I guess. that, that It kind of helped with that. I think also just also valuing the music uh, and how actually important that is, especially if, you know, it's a music radio station, which obviously it would be if you have got music within your clock. But um, how important that is to the actual listener. So not sort of dismissing it and making it part of your content as well. Uh, plus, I had the luxury of, of just being able to sort of watch and learn producers whilst sitting in the background, scheduling music, if you like, and just seeing how they were doing it, I guess, uh, before having a go myself. And when you went into BBC Local Radio, and obviously recently at, through TBI, you've been producing, you were doing Claudia Winkleman on Radio 2, is that right? Yeah. Um, what What were the biggest surprises for you from moving from predominantly commercial background to to BBC networks? I think the biggest surprise more than anything was actually how difficult it is actually working uh, alongside talent who are extraordinary in terms of extraordinary raconteurs um, you know aren't necessarily radio presenters so first and foremost and obviously on networks like Radio 2 that is a lot of their talent really i guess they're not they're not all radio presenters first and foremost so that that was an interesting lesson that was almost learning how to be a producer all over again but but learning how to do it differently there was a lot of sort of hand holding but at the same time just a, a huge understanding i think on those big networks that actually time constraints um don't always apply and and sometimes it's you know when you think about the personalities that are in places like radio 2 you know and what people are tuning in for. They're tuning in for those personalities and want to hear those people talk and have conversations. Uh, and just, I think within the BBC and the networks in particular, just allowing those conversations to happen, to to breathe and to develop. Mm. Um, it, they just, it just felt a little looser, I guess. Um, but at the same time, a little bit more polished. It's, that, it's, it's this weird, weird combination. Just, it just felt real really human, really natural. And sticking with talent and talent management, um, again, you know, you've worked with, as you mentioned, the more TV personalities, comedy, and then the more radio through and through presenters. What are, for someone starting out in radio, like what are your top tips for talent management? <laughs> God, I, I feel like I sound incredibly cynical. That's awful, isn't it? Always, always um, make sure that uh, they think it's their idea. <laughs> Uh, I think that's probably the number one, isn't it? Um, possibly. Um, uh, don't dismiss an idea immediately. Um, I would say, uh, or an idea that sort of that talent might have, um, just because it hasn't worked elsewhere previously. You know, just just think about it, explore it. Don't be afraid to be stern. I think at the end of the day, especially you know with. When I was working with people like Frank and Claudia, they they'd done radio before. They just hadn't done loads of it, um, and they they trusted me as a producer, and not just me. The other producers that worked on the programs as well, like Jeff Dean, was a huge part of um, of Claudia's show at Radio Two, much bigger part than me, I would say. And you know, those broadcasters that aren't necessarily used to working in radio really lean on those producers and trust them. So it's 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 good to be sort of not necessarily stern, but just confident with what you're saying. Uh, 
and know that actually on some occasions you are you you are right and what you're saying they are listening to what you are saying um don't don't be frightened to um you know see through an idea just because that uh, that presenter at first may not may not like it or understand it um i think i think they're just you know they're open to a conversation always be open to a conversation with those individuals and certainly get to know them as well um and and take that time to get get to know them if you can you once said to me ages ago like a producer is part counsellor, part PA, part... And, and I've always remembered that because of just that having to sort of adapt to each individual in the sense that there is, you know, there are one-size-fits-all basic rules regarding communication and, you know, not being really, really rude, for example. But generally, it's having to tailor to the needs of, of the presenter, which which I find kind of one of the biggest skills of a producer. Yeah, and I think as a producer, you, you're, you're, almost, um, you're almost like a, a, a lizard, I guess. Sounds like a weird analogy, but you just kind of have to adapt, like you say, and you, you sort of camouflage into whatever, <laughs> whatever their background might be. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting role. You definitely got training grounds being a parent, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I knew how to be a parent long before I became a parent. <laughs> Where do you think the new producers are going to come from? Or what, what do we need to do to nurture new talent? God, that's a great question. Let me think. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think everyone's everyone feels this 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 pressure almost to find new talent. And it does feel like the pool is getting smaller for some reason. I still believe that student radio plays a huge part. And I, I know the student radio station is still very much thriving at various different universities, but I also get that not everybody goes to university. I, I mean, I, I, I think hospital radio is a huge player at one point. I'm, I'm not entirely sure it is anymore. But I think probably you know, you'll, you'll find them from a, a DIY perspective, just posting stuff on online, I guess, from YouTube. I know when I was working at BBC Radio Derby, one of the things that that they were focusing on was something called New Voices. And I, I don't know whether you ever recall this. It was sort of a big local radio initiative. It happened just before COVID came along, where they were just trying to find new local radio talent or, or just the next, the next broadcaster, the next producer, whoever it might be by hosting quite an old-fashioned um, sort of talent contest almost, audition process, a bit like the X Factor. But what was extraordinary about that wasn't, wasn't the actual talent contest itself or the, the audition process. It was the, the material that, that was sent in and the emails that were sent in from people for the first time realising, I think, that actually... The, there was opportunities there that, that were for them. They didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to go to university or they didn't have to um, do a degree in media or, you know, whatever that might be, or get some sort of foundation course, journalism foundation course or academy um, scheme at the BBC or whatever it might be. They could actually just get in touch with their local radio station and tell them they were really interested in radio and they, they'd love to, to get involved somehow. So I thought that was really interesting. I guess, you know, more of that would be great. You know, local radio, I think, has got a huge role to play in that. But also the, 
so is BBC Radio One. You know, the stations that are already broadcasting to youth audiences, and you know, Kiss and Capital and um, yeah, and Gal- uh, Galaxy Girl. That's old school, the end back way back. But yes, those those stations, I think, have a, a, a responsibility there. I believe, and I think they're all doing it actually. I think they just need to shout about it a bit more. Um, there's been a lot of distractions in the last couple of years, so you kind of feel like you've got to give them all a break. You know, that's true. <laughs> so, no, absolutely. We, but, we can't be but, too harsh. Yeah, but there is, you know, obviously digital content. Looking at what's going online, what's happening on YouTube, what's happening on Instagram, you know, what's happening on TikTok, which I don't understand, but you know, what's happening on TikTok. In your view, and it's, and it's another sort of big question, but in, in your view, what does the future of radio look like? Bearing in mind of what we've been talking about, getting new voices on and new talent and things like that. How do you feel about the future of radio? I think the future of radio is strong, actually. In terms of need, if you like, I think I think, I think radio is re- still really, really important. Live reactionary radio. I think the thing about uh, music radio um, and speech radio, but music radio in particular, is it's, it's a huge influence. So when you think of influences, you think of obviously social media and all. And... Um, Instagram and what have you, but I actually think radio is a huge influence. I think people still want someone else to set the trends um, to help them discover what's new. And I think certainly in music, that's really important, but also just, just across um, speech radio as well. So I do, I do think it's a huge influencer in terms of its future and the broadcasters. I just think it, 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 it will just evolve and already is evolving to sound more real, multi-regional, um, less polished, but more human and genuine and authentic. Um, I think is probably what it will sound like in its style and its sound. I think people trust that more when it does sound that way. I think they identify with it more when it sounds that way. From a business perspective, side of things i think i'd like to think all consolidation has happened oh probably hasn't but i'd love to think it had i just think it's still it's just still so important i think it's still a companion regardless of your generation you know i just i think i think it's there there's loads of choice obviously and therefore stations audience figures are not as big as they were i believe because of that choice as opposed to lack of interest but um I, th- I think there are the future is multi-regional, hopefully more diverse and more authentic and real. Excellent. You see, you, you, I, I counted four different Radio Academy slogans moving forward in there, there was, which I really liked. I liked uh, companionship regardless of your generation. I thought mm-hmm. that was that, that describes radio beautifully. Um, that's been really interesting. Thank you very much for um, giving us your thoughts on that one. Uh, Let's talk about you. Um, what's um, have you got a dream job? Is there is there a dream job that you always dreamed of that you haven't done yet, or is there one that you go, oh, I'd love to do that? I'd really love to work with Greg James on BBC Radio One, but I'm also, I you know, I, I under no illusions, I am. 44 years old that is never going to happen I mean, I'm <laughs> oh, way don't, too old don't be ageist for that job I am being incredibly ageist aren't I but I uh, but I just think he is a master at what he does and I am um, I've worked with some you know really talented individuals who love radio and live and breathe it and understand it and understand um you know, what it is to connect with your your audience. And I would say all of 
those shows that I've worked on with those individuals have been the dream job and, mm. you know, dream job fulfilled working with those individuals, you know, those who really got it. But the person I think who masters that there's two, and I mentioned one already, but one is Greg James and the other one is Tony Lipsy. I think they just, they just know who they're broadcasting to. They know what, the, you know, they understand the tone of their show. Um, they, they don't take themselves too seriously. They, you know, there's a real humility there with both of them. Um, so yet any opportunity to work with either, either of them at some point in the future, be that on Radio 1 or on some tiny podcast somewhere, <laughs> regardless, it would be it. Greg James will end up on Radio 2 like they all. They'll, he'll be over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's probably already got the contract for five years' time. It's all sorted. <laughs> yeah. We'd like to finish on a, a light but um, hopefully revealing note. We've got three questions here well probably two actually would go with at uh, the moment in your career that best fits into this acronym omg gosh i can't say names you can but take them out <laughs> yeah take them out oh <laughs> uh, it, it depends it depends if there's an ff s one as well well do you know that, that's for... the second one is it that's so the second can one it, can i use it for both or should i come up with two different scenarios no no you 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 go with whatever you feel comfortable with this is an omg this is a great tease by the way you're doing well oh god I think I think it was the moment, and I'm sure most producers have been in this. But God, this this I definitely can't say names or radio stations, but just a presenter turning up to a radio station drunk before going on air, oh, and and we, I remember we haven't had that before. You've not had one. that before. Oh God, no. right? Okay, I just remember it vividly. It's something that's it, it was just a huge life lesson, I think. And and I remember we as a programming team were none the wiser that this individual had turned up. To um, to present their show um, a little intoxicated uh, until the moment occurred really and I remember it was three minutes past twelve and the news had just finished and all we could hear was this rolling news bed <laughs> and nothing else and I just remember I was really young uh, and I just remember sitting in the, um, the the programming room listening to this news bed and it took a few seconds to dawn on me or what was going on and and this was you know a program that didn't have a radio producer it was very very music focused didn't really need one it didn't um so you know the whole the programming team and i think on this day was probably just me sitting in the programming room was just there going oh god why is there just this news bed going and nothing else and i'm so young and i have no idea what to do in this scenario and you know just just delayed reaction i'm sure it was only 30 seconds but it felt like 30 hours and i just remember jumping up thinking right i've just got to go into the studio and i, I don't think i'd even really been into in a studio before um certainly not while it was live on air and i just remember running in and finding um a presenter underneath the desk um <laughs> passed out i just remember looking down thinking oh my god i have no idea what to do in this scenario and and obviously most of it's a blur but what i do recall is um spotting the previous presenter in the next studio buzzing through to them saying you're on for another hour thinking i'm definitely not in a position of any kind of seniority to make that decision but i thought i don't know what else to do so um i recall that and then the next and then spent the next hour basically trying to you know figure out what to do with said person underneath desk um you know really learn a few things about um uh, welfare <laughs> because what well, was probably one way of putting it and also just how to react in very very difficult scenarios like that uh 
I mean, that that person went home for quite a few days. Uh, did I they? Yes, did they yes. But they did come back, which I thought was incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that was probably my FFS, FFS, FFFS, probably yeah. OMG yeah, moment. Yeah. But, um, but it's amazing. I think what's most astounding about that is how much that training has come into practice since <laughs> and how it, that is the only time that's happened. I mean, the actual details of that story yeah. are quite quite fixed in that moment but yes that would probably be the big omg s moment for me the um the great game that everyone who's listening to this can play now is working out <laughs> who that probably was yes who it was where it was who it was yeah. or where it was but uh Gosh, no. yeah hopefully uh hopefully i haven't given too much away reproducer yeah never had to deal with a drunk presenter i'm pleased to say have you um, oh, you have. All oh, right. Okay. I think yes, <laughs> yes. That that is ringing some bells. Fine. Um. Okay. Well, uh, there we are. Kindred spirits. Clearly, <laughs> what what I I loved about her chat was the everything is material. The thing that she did uh, when she was out with Frank Skinner, where they had to make they they had basically they prepped everything. Something we've talked about before. Prepped everything. It all went belly up. And then they had to make something else. And Frank's the attitude is that anything is material. And that's mm. that's because sometimes we think in linear, in straight lines about what's material and what's content. And to be able to go, well actually anything is if you if you pitch it right and if you get it right. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, definitely. And that sounds like a yeah, a really enjoyable Stressful, admittedly, but fulfilling uh, time that she will have spent that she spent in South Africa. In South Africa with Frank Spinner. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for listening to our chat with Emma Newman on Reproducer. And remember, there are plenty other conversations with some really brilliant radio producers to enjoy. People like John McAnally, who's a bit of a legend in radio production in Scotland, currently works on the Clyde Breakfast Show, Barry at Breakfast, the award-winning. There's also Liz Barnes, whose rock radio experience has taken her to the pinnacle. That is producing Johnny Walker on Radio 2. So for all of their stories and more, just follow this podcast so you can find out when new episodes are released. Reproducer. Reproducer. Reproducer.